Now, this morning, I want you to take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to the passage which has already been read this morning uh, by Jason, Ephesians chapter 5, uh, and we're going to look at verses 19 through 21. And especially, I want us to uh, take a look at verse 21, which says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Uh, this is another message in our series on relationships that matter. And one of the things that we need to understand is that if we're going to be effective uh, leaders in the church, effective in our homes and our families, we need to understand what this means to be submissive to one another out of reverence to the Lord Jesus. So let's ask the Holy Spirit to open our minds and our hearts to God's truth today. Father in heaven, we do love you. Thank you for our many visiting guests that are here today. Thank you, Lord, for the Zephi family and for their investment in the kingdom there in Albania. I pray that you would uh, continue to uh, go before them, and I pray that uh, this uh, fundraiser on Friday evening will uh, uh, be something that is blessed by you as several churches gather together and rejoice in the fact that we can partner with our friends to uh, complete this payment on this building. We thank you, Lord, that you have blessed us so richly, and we pray that you would help us to be generous in our giving uh, so that this uh, project can be completed for the glory of Jesus. Uh, Lord, I thank you for those that are taking steps of obedience and are going to be baptized next week. Uh, I pray your blessing upon them. And I just pray that you would continue to help all of us to grow closer in our walk with you and in our walk with each other. Speak to us now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The word uh, submission has gotten a bad press today. Uh, we often think of a submissive person as being someone who is weak or uh, not able to uh, control or to defend themselves when they're in any kind of a conversation. Uh, we think of, a, of a, a submissive person as someone who uh, doesn't really have a mind of their own uh, and they, they can't make up their minds. They have to be, be kind of led uh, and they, they just are weak. They're kind of, they're kind of a, a very uh, compliant a type of a person who uh, really doesn't hold their own. And uh, the word submission, whenever you hear it, usually most people only associate it with the role that a wife is to have to the husband, which is only one of the aspects of what it means to be submissive to one another. In fact, uh, unfortunately, there are many men that have used that particular uh, text in scripture to feel that they're to boss their wives or they're to kind of run all over their wives. Uh, that's not what the scripture means at all. In fact, the Bible makes it very clear that husbands are not to lord it over their wives. They're not to boss their wives. They're not to, to, uh, to be demanding of their wives. To the contrary, they're to love their wife. They're to love their wives as Christ loved the church, and that was an unconditional love. And the only way in which any woman in a marriage relationship can be submissive is when there is a lot of love that is being displayed within that relationship. When 
Love is absent. Submission oftentimes has led to abuse and to all kinds of agony that has devoured and, and hurt many marriages today. So uh, submission is not just something that God wants a godly woman to uh, practice in response to uh, the loving embrace and the way in which her husband treats her with love, but it's something that all of us as Christ followers are asked to do. We are to be submissive one to another. That word submission is a very interesting word. It's referred to some 32 times in the New Testament, and it paints a picture of a group of soldiers in regiment lining up under a commanding officer. And you and I, as Christ followers, uh, we are to be submissive to the Lord Jesus Christ. We have placed our personal faith and trust in him. We no longer live for ourselves. We live for God. We no longer live to serve ourselves. We live to serve our king and those that he has placed in relationship around us. And because we acknowledge the authority of Christ, our desire is to be responsive to his leadership. And so this morning, I want us to kind of clear away some of the misunderstandings about submission and understand exactly what the Bible means when it says we are to be submissive one to another. First of all, I want us to look at the model of perfect submissiveness. Back in <clears throat> Matthew's gospel, we have the picture of Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. And you'll remember he is uh, there praying to his heavenly father because he is anticipating that in just a few hours he's going to be going to the cross and laying his life down for your sins and mine. And in Matthew 26 and verse 39, the Bible says, and going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, let this cup be taken from me. And here it is, yet not as I will, but as you will. Here we see the Savior of the world agonizing over this, this cup of suffering that he is about to partake of in order to provide salvation for you and for me. And in that moment, as he understands that, that this cup is, is really a cup that is filled with the sins of the whole world, uh, the weight of that, that sin that he is about to bear is over, almost overcoming to him. Plus, he understands not only is he bearing the sins of the whole world, but he's also going to be experiencing separation from the Father. This incredible relationship that he's always had between himself and the Father, that is going to be broken as well as he becomes the sin substitute and all the world's sin is transferred to the Lord Jesus as he hangs on the tree. And so he is pleading with his Father, Oh, my Father, if there's any other way... Please allow all of this that I'm about to experience to pass from me. If there's another plan, Lord, if, if there's a plan, be so be it. And yet as he agonizes in prayer, he comes to that point where he says, Okay, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And he submits to the Father's will because this was the only way. There was no plan B for the sins of the whole world to be uh, forgiven. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, 
that he was made sin for us. The one who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so Christ models this kind of submissiveness. In fact, throughout his entire earthly existence, so some uh, 31, 32 years, he is always very submissive to the will of the Father. He doesn't do anything except in accordance with the will of his Father. He submits to uh, all that the Father has required of him. Now, I want you to listen to me carefully this morning. The secret of doing the will of God is to say, I will to our Father. That's the most important thing we must say. I will. Jesus models this beautifully. He says, yet not as I will, but as you will. And the Apostle Paul elaborates on this submission of Christ in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. He says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. I mean, he had experienced the joy of being in his Father's presence from eternity past. You see, see, he is part of the triune God. There, there's no beginning, no ending. He had been enjoying that fellowship with the Father, but he didn't hang on to that as something to be grasped. But Paul says he made himself nothing, and he took on the form notice of a servant being made in human likeness. He who was absolute perfection puts on our flesh to go to the cross and die in our stead and to experience this interruption between the fellowship that he's enjoyed from all of eternity with the Father. But he does so because he is submissive to his Father's will. And this is something that characterized Christ throughout his life. In fact, he constantly stresses a new way of living once we embrace what he has provided for us on the cross. He teaches a whole new way of living that comes out of his submission to his Father. In Matthew 20, verses 25 to 28, he lays it all on the line by saying that true greatness is not measured in terms of the number of people that, that we lord over. It's not measured in terms of accomplishment at the expense of others, but true greatness is always measured in terms of serving others. And you'll note here, Jesus called them together and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials authority over them. But notice the text, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And who wants to become first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give. You see, Jesus, he, he did not come uh, to be served or to be ministered to. He came to serve and to give because he's submissive to the will of the Father. And my friend, if we are going to experience joy in our Christian experience, it's all directly related to our obedience, our submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He has paid the penalty for our sins. He has paid the ultimate price. And all he requires of us is that we follow hard after him in obedience. 
Now, number two, let's talk about the meaning of personal submissiveness when Paul refers to it here in Ephesians 5 and verse 21. Now, if you'll notice the context here, he's been talking about being full of the Holy Spirit. And one of the results, one of the evidences of being full of the Holy Spirit is that we are submissive to one another. Notice in verse 18, he says, Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And then in verses 19 and 20, he enumerates a number of those outcomes, none the least of which is to be submissive one to another. You see, it doesn't matter who we are, man, woman, boy, girl, young, old. If we have embraced Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, and we are full of the Holy Spirit, one of the evidences of being full of the Holy Spirit is that we're going to be submissive one to another. We don't throw our weight around. We don't demand things of others. We are submissive to one another. Why? Out of reverence. Notice the text. Out of reverence for Jesus Christ. And Paul is telling us in this passage that when we refuse to be submissive in our relationships to each other, we dishonor Christ the one who laid down his life for us. When we refuse to cultivate a lifestyle of submission to others, we visualize our lack of respect for Christ and what he has done on our behalf. You see, if Calvary means anything to us, if we've ever been transformed by the love and the grace of God, we will want to live as Christ calls us to live. Not always insisting on our own way, not always having things done our way, but being submissive one to another because we realize all that Christ has provided for us and taking our sins in his body on the tree, experiencing separation from his father. That is what motivates us to be submissive one to another out of reverence for Christ. Now, let's get a little bit more practical here this morning. How do we do this? Lloyd-Jones, Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his book, The Life of the Spirit, gives us some insight into what it means uh, to be submissive one to another. Uh, first of all, from a negative standpoint, number one, if we're going to be submissive to one another, we must not be thoughtless. You see, many problems come our way because we speak first without thinking before we speak. We tend to act on impulse rather than knowledge. And impetuous actions, whether it's in the home, in the church, in the business, oftentimes leads to not good outcomes. When we, when we begin reacting to each other instead of responding to one another, uh, oftentimes uh, we make the wrong decisions. If we would just think before we speak, many of the misunderstandings that happen between family members, between church members, between uh, your business partners, if we would just think first before we speak, uh, much of life would be peaceful and fulfilling. Number two, he says we must not be self-centered. You see, if we're going to be submissive one to another, we must excise selfishness from our thinking. Most of the problems happen in our lives because 
of selfishness when we're only thinking about ourselves. And when ego gets the best of us and we're only thinking about ourselves, the interests of others kind of fade away. And yet what Christ is asking us to do, he's asking us to put the interest of others above our own. Look at all the problems that selfishness has caused in our homes, in the church, in our world today. All the personal wars between individuals that have ended up in divorce and separation, abuse, broken friendships, hatred, and terrible grudges. It all happens because we think about ourselves. And so if we're going to be submissive to one another, we must not be self-centered. Number three, he says we must not be opinionated. Now, I'm not suggesting that we not hold opinions or express ourselves. It's okay to have an opinion, but we must not be opinionated. There's the difference. God doesn't expect that all of us will agree to everything, but we must not get to the point where we are so opinionated that we shut out any other input that others are seeking to bring to our lives. One of the things that will enrich your life more than anything else is to allow others to speak into it, to allow others to be involved in your life and you're involved in their lives. You see, opinionated people are pretty well closed off to anything other than what they think. And that keeps us from experiencing some of the sweet relationships that can happen as we begin to invest our lives in each other. And then number four, from a negative standpoint, we must not be autocratic. That is always insisting on our own way or becoming angry when someone opposes or questions us. The Apostle Peter speaks about this, especially in relationship to pastors. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. You see, when you're in a leadership role, God doesn't call you to be a master over others. He calls us to serve each other. And when we are faithful in serving one another, and we put the interests of others above our own, some incredible things take place for the glory of God. Now, those are some thoughts from Lloyd-Jones as it relates to what, what submissiveness means from a negative standpoint. Let me give you a biblical perspective. From a biblical perspective, submission to one another means, number one, we are hopeless apart from a relationship with the living God. See, apart from a relationship to him, we have nothing to hang on to. We've all missed the mark. Paul puts it this way in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. There's not one of us that are so good that we can make it into heaven by our own do-goodisms. We've all sinned. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. 
we are all in the same boat. Apart from Jesus Christ, we have no life. Apart from a relationship with him, we can never begin to meet his standard. Number two, we also realize that we have nothing with which to boast. You see, everything that we have has been provided for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that's transformed our thinking and he has transformed our decision-making. And he is the one that enables us to be creative and to think Christianly. You realize that every gift that you've received, every new day, every blessing is because of God's goodness to us. We don't deserve it. But God in his mercy, he constantly is endowing us with grace and with good gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 to 8, Paul says, For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? If you did not receive it, why do you boast as if you did? Already you have all that you want. Already you have become rich. You have become kings, and that without us. How I wish you really had become kings so that we might be kings with you. What he's trying to say is we don't have anything to boast about. Everything that we have has been given to us by God. No need to be proud of our abilities and our opinions. It's no longer an issue about what do I think, it's what, what does God think. And when we understand this, we will not portray or protrude an attitude of spiritual superiority. See, we're all sinners saved by grace. Do you believe that? We have nothing to boast about. The only one we can boast in is the Lord Jesus Christ and all that he has provided for us. I believe that only the Holy Spirit at work in our lives can bring us to that place of absolute dependence and submission to Jesus. Number three, and this is really important, we remember that we are part of the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you are part of it. I want to paraphrase Lloyd-Jones at this point. He says, quote, If we realize that, we will realize also what is really important is not that we are a part, but that we are part of a whole. You see, we are all members of the body. We are part of the whole. It's not the part that matters as much as the whole. Most of our problems focus because we're only thinking about ourselves and we're not thinking about the whole. And so we need to understand that when we are submissive to one another out of reverence for Christ, we, we, we have the best interests of the whole in mind and we're thankful that we are part of the whole. That's a powerful statement. How many times is there issues that happen Because we feel we've been offended. We have things that have been going on in our lives, and we're worried about us 
we're not worried about how us affects the whole. The whole is more important than the individual parts, yet all of us are part of the body. Isn't that beautiful? A number of years ago, Magic Johnson was, and he was playing basketball for the Lakers. We lived back in California back in the 80s when they were winning all these championships. And Pat Riley, who was the coach of the Lakers at that time, he was a commentator at that moment. But he was describing Magic this way. He says, you know, he said, what makes Magic so special is that he looks for ways to make others succeed. When Magic is on the court, the whole team excels. He knows how to bring out greatness in others. And I got to thinking about that. You know, if we as the body of Christ in submission to Christ lived to bring out greatness in each other, what a transformation would happen in the body of Christ. When we're looking for the best in others rather than with a critical eye. It's always, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to criticize, (laughs) but it does take a person who is submissive to the Lordship to Christ to look for the best in others and live their lives so that they can help others succeed for the glory of God. And you see this in what I call reciprocal relationships in the Scripture. First of all, in pastor-people relationships. God's word to pastors, I've already read the, the text, 1 Peter 5, 2-3, be shepherds of God's flock, caring and serving as overseers. That's the pastor's job. What are the people? What's, what, what's God's word to the people? Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders. Submit to their authority. Obey them so that their work will be a joy and not a burden. You see, when leadership becomes a burden to the leaders, they can't serve with with honor. But when leadership is a joy, let me tell you, leaders will serve in a way that honors Jesus. You see this in husband and wife relationships. God's word to husbands, Colossians 1.19, husbands love your wives. Do not be harsh toward them. Colossians 3.18, God's word to wives. Wives submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Parent-child relationships. God's word to parents. Colossians 3.21, fathers do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. God's word to children. Colossians 3.20, children obey your parents in the Lord for this pleases God. What about employer-employee relationships? You see it, it touches every aspect of life. God's word to employers, Colossians 4.1, masters, provide for your slaves what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. God's word to employees, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only those who are good and considerate, but also those who are harsh unreasonable. You see, as I study the scriptures, this business of submission, it it affects every area. Pastor-people relationships, husband-wife relationships, parent-child relationships, employer-employee relationships. 
if we can just begin to understand these rhythms and begin to practice them, I believe our lives will take on a whole new dimension for the glory of God. And then lastly, I want you to look at the mandate of public submissiveness. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. Submit yourselves to the Lord's sake, for the Lord's sake, to every human authority instituted among men, whether to a king as supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it is God's will, notice, that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Those are very sobering words, aren't they? Now, Peter is not writing in a vacuum. He is writing this letter to suffering Christ followers who are being severely oppressed by the Emperor Nero who considered them rebels because of their refusal to participate in emperor worship. During the reign of Nero, Christians were thrown to wild animals. They were boiled in oil and set afire. This was not a good time for God's people in terms of how the government was treating them. And yet Peter encourages them and instructs these Christ followers to place themselves in submission to the evil government authority ruling over them. He doesn't criticize the leaders, notice. He doesn't call for rebellion or protest. He simply says, as Christ followers, you are to live differently than the culture all around you. Now, why does God call his people to be submissive to the government under which they live. Well, the Apostle Paul, I believe, gives us three specific reasons. Number one, the government is a minister of God. Romans 13 and verse 4, for he, that is the government, is God's servants to do, servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in, in vain or the sword for nothing. He's speaking there specifically about capital punishment, by the way. That's another whole sermon. He is God's servant and agent of wrath to bring punishment against wrongdoers. That word servant is a very interesting word. It can also be translated a servant belonging to God. The government is a servant belonging to God. It's the very same word used of deacons who serve. The state is not God but serves the purposes of God who has allowed the state to come into existence. Number two, resistance against the government is resistance against God. Romans 13 verses 1 and 2, everyone must submit himself to governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. In other words, what Paul is saying to us is that to resist 
that which God has sovereignly ordained is to question the authority of God himself. And such resistance, or in our contemporary terminology, such civil disobedience will result in judgment. Makes little difference to an arresting officer whether you are a Christian, a Christ follower, or not. If we break the law, judgment is coming because the government has been instituted by God. Now the question naturally arises simply this, is it ever right for the Christ follower to resist the government under which he lives? A great Bible teacher, F.F. Proust, puts it this way, Nothing can justify the opposition of subjects to a ruler except overt attempts on his part to change the Constitution or to rule contrary to the laws of the land. When a ruler acts in this way, his authority is no longer binding because it is illegal. This illegal conduct justifies opposition to his government. And then he adds a very interesting statement. He says, I contend that no personal misconduct in the ruler, no immorality in his life while he governs according to the law can justify rebellion against him or contempt for his authority. There's a lot of things that we struggle with as Americans right now. It seems as though we're losing a lot of our freedoms. And yet God in his sovereignty he is the one that places rulers in positions of authority. He raises rulers up. He takes rulers down. Now, the only exception is when the decrees of the government conflict directly with the commandments of God's word. In the book of Acts, God commands his apostles to preach the gospel. And when the government leaders demanded that they stop, Peter explains in Acts chapter 5 and verse 29, we must obey God rather than man. For example, if the government began to demand that couples abort every second child, we would have a right to disobey and suffer the consequences because that command is in direct conflict with the word of God. Number three. Submission to the government is for the sake of conscience. Romans 13.5, Therefore it is necessary to submit to the authorities not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. It's very interesting that the Bible makes it very clear that we as Christ followers are to have a blameless conscience toward God and men. Acts 2 Acts 24 and verse 17. If we violate our conscience by resisting the authorities that God has ordained, we deprive ourselves of great spiritual power and our conscience is dead. When our conscience is alive, we cannot live with ourselves when we knowingly disobey that which God has placed in authority over us we will be much more effective in saying no to Caesar when we say yes to those areas 
where he has not compromised our Christian beliefs. Now, if the government is God-ordained, and it is, and if we as Christ followers are to be in subjection to the authority God has placed over us, it's imperative that we participate in the life of our country. And I'm speaking here especially about voting. For some reason, over the last number of years, we as God's people have not taken advantage of the civic responsibility of voting our conscience. It's very interesting, the latest statistics that I read, the last number of elections, four out of 10 people will never participate in voting. And many who refuse to vote are some of God's people who believe that government is an agent of the devil. The government is not an agent of the devil. The government is a servant that only exercises authority as long as God gives them that authority. Remember, every human government has to answer to the sovereign authority of the living God. So the most important thing that we can do as citizens when we see our freedoms being eroded away is we need to study what candidates believe and we need to vote in an honorable way. We need to be involved. Edmund Burke's oft-repeated quote hits the nail on the head. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And that's why it's so important that we understand that this matter of being submissive to Christ affects every area of our life. It affects our home, affects our relationships, affects the way we respond to those in authority over us. Let me just leave you with three thoughts and then we'll close this morning. Submission to one another is the way in which we, number one, center our thoughts on Christ. Number two, submission to one another enables us to cultivate the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. And number three, Submission to one another helps us to celebrate our devotion to Jesus. He submitted to Calvary for us, and we submit to him because we love him more and more every day and desire to please him. Father in heaven, We love you so much. Submission is hard. Submission doesn't come easy. But it comes by way of the cross. It's because of what you've done for us at Calvary that we are your servants. We submit to you. 
We are under your authority. We no longer live life on our terms, but we've surrendered all of our lives to you. So Lord, as we leave here today, help us to leave with thanksgiving. Number one, that we belong to you, the King. If there's anyone here this morning that has never put their faith and trust in you, even right now they can simply say, Lord Jesus, please come into my life. I need you so much. I confess my sin, my arrogance to you, I want you to be the Lord, the master of my life. Please come in and take over. If we're a Christ follower and we haven't been living a submissive life in our relationships with each other, Lord, help us to learn to put the interests of others above our own. Help us to love you more and love self less. Help us, Lord, to be the people that you've called us to be, to be good citizens exercising the privileges that we have as free people to let our concerns to be known and to take advantage of the responsibilities that you've given to us, not only to live a Christ-honoring life, but to participate in the various opportunities we have to change the course of human history by the way in which we vote. So Lord, we surrender everything to you. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your love and thank you for your goodness. Now let's all stand together. Lord Jesus, as we leave this place, we do so in the strong name of Jesus. May the grace of God, the love of God, and that sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with every single one of us until one of these days we see you in all of your glory. Amen. Good morning. Maranatha, lo he comes. Have a great day in Jesus' name.